lots and lots of spoilers. Science! It's what's for dinner! We're leaping ahead in time so we can come back and do this whole thing all over again. We'll be dancing with ourselves! It's astounding! Time is fleeting. But does anybody really know what time it is? Does anyone really care about time? I think I've got I think I've got too much time on my hands, but is it 25 or 6 to 4? We'll probably never know and for are we not men? We are Devo. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, wait, no. no. Huh? We are Max Mike Movies. Con yeah, confused? Yeah. So are we. It's a club with a billion members, and this week we're not making it any easier. On my left hand, which is the hour hand, is the TikTok man, the titular timey wimer, Max <gasps> Levine. Make a crack about time, Max. Time crack. Ha 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 ha. And I, I am in the second hand, Mega Minute Mike Loose. And no, that makes absolutely no sense. But will this week's movie? I don't know. We're in the middle of I Forgot How Much I Hate Time Travel, a series about science fiction's favorite trope, uh, time travel. Mm. Does it ever really work? Does it ever really come out in the wash? And why won't it return my calls? Sorry, these. You're being these too needy. These 36-hour days are getting to me. <laughs> uh, we have an indie film this week, 2004's Primer. Time travel has never seemed so sciency. But before that, we have poll question answers to take care of, as you have taken such great care in answering us. Indeed. Last week, we asked you, our dear listeners, what sad or touching movie scene, no matter how many times you've seen it, still makes you tear up? We got a ton of answers. Here are some of them. From the website, Vince, our Canadian correspondence... Correspondence? <laughs> yes, he's a letter. Vince is a letter. Here's a letter of That's Vince right. by Vince. He's flat yeah. and has a stamp on him. He writes, quote, I openly admit that I get very upset every time I watch Disney's Pinocchio when he's Ooh. face down in the water at the end. I always think he is dead no matter how many times I have seen it, end quote. Personally, I thought he was dead. <laughs> well, I mean, he, was, he was a puppet, so at that point... He's still a puppet at that point, I think, so... Can't really be long? dead. Is mm. what is life? What I don't is know. what is time? That's what we're doing. Oh right. <laughs> From Facebook, we got well, we got the rest. <clears throat> first up, the Wheeze himself. He says, "Quote Pixar movies. Yeah. The first ten minutes of Up. Oh. Sadness, com <laughs> yeah, sadness, comforting Bing Bong in Inside Out. Anton Ego remembering his childhood in Ratatouille. There is a lot. Honorable mention: Wreck It Ralph destroying Vanellope's car. End quote." I have a sneaking suspicion we'll be seeing more Pixar movies in the answers. Could be. Haley Paulson writes, yeah, could be. Uh, quote, I know it's cliche, but steal magnolias every single time. Uh, I can hold it together, barely, when Shelby's found unconscious with the baby just screaming in the house alone, but Malin breaking down at the funeral just breaks my heart and I cry with her, end quote. I personally haven't seen it, so I'll take your word for it. Next, it's Weasel Yosef Forsyth, who shared, quote, my stepmom killed my dad, and I worked the pile. I don't actually know what that means. I wonder if there's a typo, but that's what it says. What? I don't know. My quote, my stepmom killed my dad, and I worked the pile, and I have actual tape with my father's voice I kept to listen to. And Tom Hanks is so much like my dad, his voice, his mannerisms, it's just too much in this one minute and 53 second clip from Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. 
The first yard site was hard and each since hits different, but still. And this year is the 20th anniversary of it. Sorry if that's too deep, but I just wanted to share, end quote. Oh, wow. Um, thanks. That was actually a really personal response. I yeah. appreciate you. Uh, we both appreciate you uh, yes, sharing sir. that. Yeah, thank you. Um, have you seen that one, Max? I have not. I it just I, I knew it would be too upsetting. Yeah, I read the book. Oh. Uh, that was Jonathan Foer, I think. And it was a very, it's actually about a kid whose father is into 11. He's in the, the buildings. Not, and he's 9 11, I home. think you mean. 9 11, yeah. 2 11. <laughs> That's okay. When in danger, who do I call? The brave men and women of 411. Uh, <laughs> yes, it happened. And you know, they didn't know what was going on either. Um, anyway. Uh, there are phone messages and that's all he has left of his father. Cause he was in the twin tower. Uh. Um, Val, our pal from the West offers quote, so many Bambi. When his mom is killed, when Rick says goodbye to Ilsa in Casablanca, when Dorothy says goodbye to Scarecrow and wizard of Oz, just to name a few, I'll add more when I think of them. I know I'm missing a big one End quote. Um, well, she didn't think of them, but <laughs> that's okay. Those are all really good ones. Kate Warner, first time caller gives us quote, I mean, I cry a lot, but the last, like, half an hour of Brokeback Mountain, especially when he finds the shirts, most oh. of Atonement, yeah, most of Atonement and the end of Cold Mountain. It seems those traffic love stories just get me. Oh, and the end of Coco gets me every time. I also watched that movie for the first time after coming back from England and seeing my grandmother for the last time, who at the time was struggling with dementia and pretty severe Parkinson's that kept her bedridden. Oh, it was boy. too much. I kept uh, it together in the theater, then got in the car and ugly cried all the way home, end quote. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. you made it out of the theater. That's impressive. Yeah. I yeah. didn't. Um, with Coco? No, no. Uh, I just sit there and pretend that my allergies are bothering me, and thankfully my partner just doesn't look over. He doesn't <laughs> question me about it. He knows I cry at Disney films. It's just the way it goes. Helen Alamano Hegarty responded with, quote, Life is beautiful when Robert ben Roberto Benini has been captured by the Nazis, but he knows his son can see him, so he does a silly march to show him everything is okay as he's taken off to be executed. <laughs> yeah. Also, my girl, when Vita sees that Thomas J. isn't wearing his glasses and she's crying over his coffin screaming, he can't see without his glasses, end quote. Um, haven't seen either of those films, but... Um, uh, all I know is about is Roberto Benini couldn't have been more thrilled to win that Oscar. <laughs> yeah, I saw Life is Beautiful, and it is both it. It's all the feelings. Yeah. Last, Richard Tatum simply added, "quote The climax of Iron Giant." End quote. Uh, Good call. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot more of you of who who answered. So if you didn't get quoted, you get triple bumpy bucks, <laughs> the currency that tastes as good as it sounds. Yep, yep. You'll also get two copies of the Bumpy Hut catalog, the Invisible Edition. In fact, you might already have it. <laughs> you never know. Others who responded include George Saulnier, Amber Stevens, Steve Strickland, Peggy Trouth, Chrissy Becker, Agatha and Nick Gasparoni, and Geneva Brunetti. Thank you all for your great answers. Appreciate it. Uh, Max, yeah. we have to ask you, since it was your question, what movie just gets you to tear up every time? Or well, what scene? Well, I am, to use the technical term, a complete sap about uh, <laughs> sad movies. I... You know, I cry when the traffic lights change color, but there are some... <laughs> I mean, again, a lot of the ones people mention, they get me. There's one I have never understood. I don't know why it affects me this way, but every time I've seen it, and it's going my way, Bing Crosby and I believe Pat O'Brien. Is there something sad in it? There, it's not sad. It's touching. There's a scene where Pat O'Brien is in bed. He's not feeling well. 
Uh, he's tired out. He's an old. He's in this. He's he's played as an old priest, and you know, Bing Crosby is the young, <laughs> hip priest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. He's the god. Yeah, and he asks him to sing to him, and Bing starts singing Turalura, hmm. the Irish lullaby. And for some reason, just when he hits those first couple of notes, I my eyes start stinging. I don't know why. I'm not Irish. I'm not Catholic. But that always gets me, every time. You're not Irish. Would you like to be? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what about you? Um, the obvious ones, basically, Pixar. If it's a good Pixar movie, I cry mm. at it. Coco gets me every time. Uh. Um, strangely, uh, Strictly Ballroom, uh, uh. the end, gets oh. me. Uh, I think it's just so nice. Yeah. I'm actually a big sucker for people being happy. Like, People achieving something or people being happy, just, I don't know. It's like, sure, the sad parts, that's easy, you know, I, I cry at that stuff. But I don't, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. So, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to admit it, even though I'm a man. <laughs> Wait, that was terrible. Stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, for this week, we're going to ask you this. Mm. If you could own one prop, one MacGuffin, one item from a movie, mm. what would that item be, and from what movie did it come? A full-size what? Death Star. No? Yeah. You can save your answer for next week. Let us know in ways that will astound you, and that we'll go over at the end of the show. Yes. But now... Trivia for Primer. Yeah, I'd like to say, by the way, I'm not sure I watched the right movie, because what I watched was this absolutely fascinating documentary on preliminary paint coating. I mean, I had no idea that uh, you, that many mm, coats of latex Max. went into getting the uh, the, the uh, softwoods ready. I mean, you really had... Max! What? That's not the right film. Oh. <sighs> okay, okay, quick... Go and watch the film okay. right now. Get back into your closet okay. time machine and come back in three seconds. Okay. So we can discuss Fine. the right film that has nothing to do with paint. Fine. Boy, I think it'd still be a good conversation. You would not believe what they have to use on Get in. Pine. Get in. Watch. All right. Hang on. Um, that, was, that was a time noise. <laughs> okay. I'm back. I, thought, I watched the movie, I, and I'm also 68,000 years old now. I think that was gas. Yeah. <laughs> right. Been. So once again, trivia for trivia. Primer, the yes. film not about paint. <laughs> the show. Budget, $7,000. The cheapest <laughs> film ever on Max Mike Movies. I'll be interested to see if we can ever get a film cheaper than that. Uh, the Take, $841,000. Hey, not bad. A hit. Yeah, at least mathematically, it is a hit. One of the main characters, Abe, has a last name that gives a clue to the plot. His name, Turger, which in fact ah, is regret backwards. What? what? Regret backwards. Oh. Turger. I totally got that. That I didn't either. Don't worry about it. I just figured it was like Swedish or something. Aaron, one of two main characters, is played by Shane, and I have not, no idea how to pronounce this, because it looks very much like somebody came to Ellis Island and the guy who's writing in the book just gave up. Uh, it's played by Shane Carruth. Carruth. It looks like it should be Carruthers, but it isn't. Yeah. Um, who is also the writer, director, and scorer for this film. Just like William One-Shot Bodine, <laughs> Carruth made only one take of all but one scene in this film. Good old One-Shot Bodine. Yeah. <laughs> Made over 300 films one year. 
Good yeah. Lord. <laughs> Something like that. I don't remember. It was disgusting. Uh, this film won the Grand Jury Award at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival. Wow. Which is how it got any release, and it's $841,000. dollars mm. It was shot entirely in 16 millimeter film, something which seemed to work pretty well for that Kevin Smith guy. <laughs> Other indie films that made it big around this time include, speaking of Kevin Smith, Clerks in 1994, Pi in 1998, and Cube in 1997. In total, those films and Primer cost altogether $737,000. Wow. So like what about a 50th of the advertising budget of one blockbuster. And they raked in combined almost 16.5 million. Okay. So, well, so that's like a weekend take of a blockbuster. But look at what they call. I mean, the, the yeah. ratio is you don't usually get more than 16 times your investment. Yeah. In that's, that is impressive. Um, and I, the reason I point this out is for, t there's two reasons. One is there is damned little trivia about this film, yeah. but also we don't get indie films anymore. Not like, a lot. You don't get, cause I, I think I might've actually seen primer in the theater. I honestly don't remember. Um, I do, did see it when it came out or around that time. I did see clerks in the theater mm -hmm. and you used to be able to do that. You used yeah. to be able to make an indie film, and if it was decent and had good word of mouth, you might see it in your local art house theater, but I'm pretty much that time's over, which is sad. Yeah. Well, a lot Do of them get released on the internet. Yeah, but, you know, you don't tend to make much money that way. True. Um, Do you have any other trivia for this film? Uh, just that you? I've seen this movie. Oh. I saw this movie at, the, I believe, the Science Fiction Marathon uh, back in 2004 when it came out. Oh, cool. I remembered nothing. Yeah. I remembered the U-Haul uh, enclosure. Yeah. That's about it. Mm. Uh, but let's get to the plot so that all of our Oh, yeah. I got to hear this. Too. I had it bad with Tenet <laughs> last week. Let me hear what you got with this. Come on. Okay. Here we go. Deep breath. Ahem. Four guys with ties are working in their garage to make some kind of after-work gizmo that will make them a billion dollars. Each gets a turn presenting and leading a project. The current one, something that's meant to adjust gravity somehow, doesn't exactly work. Or rather, it works, but it has a very odd side effect. It creates a bubble of time such that something that goes into it gets stuck in a causality loop and ages, but can also come back out in a previous time. Well, it would take a scientist to explain it. <clears throat> two of the group's members, Abe and Aaron, are the only two that know, and they soon decide to make a larger version, one that fits inside a U-Haul storage locker so they can themselves travel through time normally, but also then come back to the time they entered so that they might do things like play the stock market and make big money. Big money! Thing is, to avoid paradox, they have to secret themselves aside and have no contact with their selves that are out living life. Until they do. And then things get weird. Mm -hmm. Turns out Abe has made a second machine, a kind of fail-safe machine, which he uses when he thinks that Aaron is taking things too far. He means to come back before he told Aaron about time travel and take his previous self's place so the conversation never happens. Ah, but Aaron saw that one coming, and there's a second version of him, too. 
and maybe a third. But <laughs> someone else must have found out because a friend's father is seen running around as his own double, so they catch him, and then that's when it gets complicated. <laughs> that's when it gets complicated, yeah. That's when it gets complicated. Time travel is taking a physical toll, and Abe wants to call it quits. Aaron, on the other hand, decides not to go back to the original time he entered the time causality loop, and instead goes to France to build a bigger version of the time machine, and he's now made a big, huge pile of cash. But really, science. The end. The lowdown. Oh, yes, and there's also two of them at the end. Right. Or three. Or more, I'm not sure. We're not entirely sure. Uh, So I want to actually start our discussion with uh, a question that's more or less related to the film. But, um, Max, if you had a time machine besides mm. the one that you just used to launch this film that everybody totally believes. If you had a time travel machine, what would you do with it? Honestly, destroy it. <laughs> time travel now, is a that? bad idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> if we've learned anything from any from the movies and God knows the movies wouldn't lie to us, it's it, <laughs> it's a bad idea. It it uh, like like I said Last week, there are basically, in very general, two models for time. One is you can go back and alter things, or you can't. If you can't alter things, apart from doing it for informational purposes, what's the point? And if you can't alter things, reality isn't real, everything can be changed, and you have dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. (laughs) That's disgusting. Never say yes. that again. <laughs> and honestly, if if you could have a time, if time travel was that you can't change anything, that would be kind of interesting. I would love to go back and like see, hey, what was there some Jewish kid wandering around uh, uh, Nazareth and uh, and uh, and Israel at the time in around you know thirty B C thirty A D and was his name you know Bob or was it actually Jesus? <laughs> I don't think Bob's a Jewish name. I yeah. could be wrong, but I don't think it is. Yeah. Uh, I my you know uh, my first thought. This is sad because I'm not even that big a fan. Is uh, Roswell? <laughs> oh yeah. It's like I want to see what went down. And hey, JFK. While we're at it, because I'm actually totally cool with the idea of there being some kind of time travel where you can go back. You can't affect anything. You can't be affected. You can just observe i'd be fine with that because think of all the cool things you could find out um you could go find out that the aliens did in fact not build the pyramids <laughs> oh no they totally did i saw it on a website yeah sure you did i'm not saying it was aliens but it was aliens <laughs> but if if you could affect things you have absolutely no uh there's nothing you would go back and change there or- i'm sorry again i've read too much science fiction i've watched too much science fiction it's that whole butterfly theory Mm-hmm. That whole that Ray Bradbury th- story of the guy who goes back in time, he steps on a butterfly and it completely rewrites history. Wait, you believe in Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> <laughs> Not that butterfly effect. And no, I don't. I think Ashton Kutcher simply was uh, found in a, on the back of a beer label and they made him into a person. I don't know. I would like to thank you for letting Ashton Kutcher into your life. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> So no, Max is a big no. Uh, yeah, what, what if, would he do with time travel? He'd destroy it. Yeah, okay. what about you? What would you do? I, You know, again, observation. I don't really have any interest in changing time because here's the thing. Besides the fact that these movies all show us how incredibly a bad idea this is, except for ones that we'll probably be watching in the future. Which is where you and um, I will be spending the rest of our lives. Knock it off, Criswell. Um <laughs> 
I, I don't know. Occasionally you will get a time travel story that shows you what a bad idea it is, not just because something will quote unquote run wrong, but the plot actually follows through and you get to see what would have happened if the thing you didn't want to happen actually didn't. So for example, Stephen King's 112263. Uh. I really liked that book. Um, I actually listened to it as a, an audio book and it, the whole book is basically this guy trying to prevent the Kennedy assassination and how Stephen King in this book basically has time almost as a character in that it's as immutable as absolutely possible. So every time you go to try and change something, something just happens to keep you from doing it. But eventually, spoiler, he finishes the, the plot and gets to the point where he completes his task and we get to see what would have changed. Um, I won't tell anything more, but suffice to say, it was an interesting take, and I do recommend it, even if you're not a Stephen King, because it's not horror. That um, That's but, a very popular trope also, is the idea of time wanting to happen as it's already happened, and the idea that, say, you go back in time and kill Hitler, suddenly you become Hitler, or you create right. someone else who becomes Hitler. And like, like Peter Graves. <laughs> is that... <laughs> What? Yes, take, I don't know. Take them to the ovens. I'm Peter Graves, your Fuhrer. <laughs> God. I don't know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is Bit offensive on so many levels. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'm Peter Graves. I'm your Fuhrer. <laughs> I, I yeah. cannot picture, you know, Heil Graves. You know? <laughs> Hail Hydra. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, of course, when you start looking at time travel, what it says one way or the other is, in general, that there's a fatalism to it, right? Yeah. And even this film, which actually does tackle one of the big no-nos generally in time travel, which is paradox. You can't meet yourself. And they start off that way saying you can't do this. They don't tell us why. They just say, yeah, we have to go hide. So, Well, I think they basically just say we can't let anybody see two of us. Because then the, the jig will be up. The cat will be out of the bag. The pudding will be out of the spoon. All right, but, stop now. <laughs> but then they do meet themselves. Yeah, and, and yeah, nothing happens. Re yeah, well, like, technically, we, I don't know. That one of them does start bleeding out of his ears. There's weird. So okay, so what we're, so we see at one point that after they've done a bunch of time jumping, and it is confusing. Very. Um, that one one of them. Well, one of them first shows signs because he has an ear bleed, which is very strange. But then they both start having trouble with their handwriting, and my thought with that was it could easily be ascribed to the fact that they're now staying awake for thirty six hours at a time there all is. the time. Yeah, um, and there's. Go ahead. Yeah, they, they all, it also just affects even the way they talk. I still like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm starving. I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is, like, there's a lot of research done on the damage, or not, not damage, but the effects of lack of sleep. Well, um, you die eventually. Well, yeah, but I mean, 36 hours. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think that's, the longest I've ever been up was 32, I think. You can do, uh, yeah, I think the record is something like a week. Yeah, but yeah, you're not sure. You're it might even be longer Cocoa than Puffs. that. Yeah, um, and things get weird uh, even after like about thirty hours because we both used to do the science fiction film marathons, and you, you know, it wasn't just that the marathon was twenty four hours because you got up 
you know, like you normally did that morning, mm-hmm. did your stuff, then drove out to the theater. And then if you were really stupid, you drove yourself home. Um, the thing I most remember is that all of the colors in the world were like faded and yeah, washed out. Yeah, and the light gets weird. By the way, I just looked it up. The record to, for staying awake is 11 days, 264 hours. That's too many. Yes, that's all. So, that's too many days. Yeah. So the paradox, um, which is one of those questions we've asked about in the, in, in the past, was, you know, do they uh, address the idea of paradox? They kind of do. They talk they about it. Don't. I mean, they, they sort of even flit past the idea of the grandfather paradox. One of them says, yeah, yeah, going back in time and killing your grandfather. I don't believe that. Yeah. And yet. I, I, well, they. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to talk about it as a movie itself first. Sure. What did you think of this as a movie? There are things that I liked a lot about it, and one of it was it wasn't talking down to us, right? Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't trying to package something really difficult to understand in a way that a ten-year-old could get it. And I did really appreciate that. And apparently that was one of the points. The guy who uh, wrote the film, um, Mr. Carruth, or Carruth, <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce it, yeah. um, was saying that he really wanted the dialogue to be like two engineers talking, which it is really, exactly... It, it really is. Not just when they're talking about time, but when there's all four of them and they're just nerding out over whatever yeah. project. And I am suddenly having IT department flashbacks and <laughs> hanging around the software engineers like, oh, God, I know these people. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's very uh, Dilbert-ish. Um, <laughs> well, although actually, of. one of my notes was it's hot tub time machine meets Birdemic, which what? <laughs> no, it isn't. Well, yes, it is. So there's time travel, and all of the the software guys from Birdemic kind of feel like these guys. But they could, <laughs> but they all walk like normal humans. <laughs> there's not actually a lot of walking. Yeah, in this there's film, some. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it as a film? Again, it's. I think it's very uneven. I liked. I liked what he was trying to do with some of it. There's a big thing with trying to make everything seem natural, like the dialogue, that sort of Robert Altman. This is how people actually talk, which of course means it's very hard to understand what anyone's saying. You really yeah. have. To, I had to keep the volume cranked up. If I had had subtitles, I would have turned them on. Uh, I think it's a really interesting idea, and again, I as you say, I like the fact that they don't go out of their way to explain how things are working, you know, and. They don't have a MacGuffin, really. But honestly, I think it kind of goes off the rails about three quarters of the way through. And I maybe I think it may, maybe it's supposed to. It's supposed to get really confusing because, in effect, ne- the narrative flow is literally doubling back on itself. We have multiple mm. versions of the same character. Like, what? I still don't understand this. I think he's a venture capitalist, Mr. Granger, who is the father of some woman who is interested in Abe or Aaron and one of them, the one who isn't married. That's Abe. Yeah. So Mr. Granger, he apparently gets a hold of the time machine for for reasons we never find out. They double up on himself, which, and then goes into a coma and... One of them keeps him in a medically induced vegetative state. Yeah. And then kills himself. Well, no, kills him, and I think kills himself. Doesn't he kill a version of himself? No, not that I know of. He, well, the he puts him out. Well, the, you know, Abe, Abe, Abe puts him, because that's the backup machine. Okay. 
And so he basically he's taking his he's it's it's sort of like older, wiser Abe going, yeah, I don't think I really want Aaron to be in on this whole thing. So I'm actually going to go ahead and gas myself before I actually told Abe about this so that I don't have so none of this is going to happen. But Abe recorded their their conversations and when they first meet he's actually listening to the conversation they're about to have uh, which if that's not confusing yeah, and abe abe poisons himself at one point you know he injects his milk he says it's easy to kill yourself and you know kill someone you know exactly what they're going to have for breakfast that day well so here, there was a scene that didn't make it into the film which doesn't doesn't help out um and apparently abe's supposed to be a diabetic and that explains why he's so precise about everything. But oh. I don't know if that's supposed to reference that or not. Or not. I don't uh, know. The problem. This is what happens when you only shoot one take of anything, and you suddenly realize in editing that you don't have shots of things you need, and you have to make do. Yeah. So I think this was very ambitious. I think it was. I I I, for, I applaud the attempt. I think it was too confusing. Um. So for what it's worth, I found on the Wikipedia page for this film somebody did a little flow chart as to how this is supposed to work you shouldn't need a flow chart for a damn movie i agree but it's not actually the movie it's just how the time travel in this movie works that being said your point still stands um i i here's the thing as confusing as it was i was still interested yeah i still wanted to know what was going to happen that's what was so annoying in some ways it's, yeah. it, it is. It's fascinating. You want to know what's going on. You want to try to figure this out. You want to untangle all the threads. Mm-hmm. And you're interested in the characters. Yeah. But, and know, I would say that their acting actually starts out somewhat stiff, but actually gets a lot better throughout the film. Yeah. Um, Mr. Carruth did not have much of a career. He did direct another film, which I have not seen. But uh, the guy who played Abe actually is still working. He... That was, he was actually, uh, um, he had done some theater in high school, uh, played some football in college, and then this was his first big part, and he went on to be in TV shows and movies. You know, nothing huh. leading man or anything, but he's still working, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Good for him, yeah. You know, again, this is one of the reasons that I miss indie films and that p- potential of seeing them in theaters. Is this a great film? No. But I think, for especially for $7,000, yeah. it's a lot more interesting than films made for $70 million in some cases. It is, and it's actually trying. It's you know, original. Something. It's a really interesting and different take on time travel, something that by 2004 we've seen a heck of a lot. Yeah. And uh, this this took real chances. I admire that. One of the things that they do with time travel that I think is actually a really cool idea is that basically you can't go any further back than the moment that you first go into this time machine. Mm. That starts your loop. So if it's 30 years down the road, the earliest you can come back is 2004. That's it. That's It's like it's part of this, this set loop. And I guess the idea basically is when you go in to this field created by this machine, which includes things like pieces from a catalytic converter and a microwave oven. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I said hot tub time machine. I'm just saying, um, <laughs> I think that one involves somebody having a drink and somebody dropping like a hair dryer into a hot tub, but whatever. Um, once you go in, it is possible 
during the time period that you're in to also come out at a different time. So what mm. they do is they go in in the morning and then come out and go hide themselves in a hotel room and look at the stock market all day. Then they make sure to come back at the end of the day when they're supposed to come out the first time. And then they start over, start the day over and they, you know, go ahead and buy stocks at, at ridiculously low prices and sell them for ridiculous. Which really price. is, if you are trying to monetize time travel, that's a pretty smart way to do it, especially if you can't go back. You know, it's not like you could go back to uh, ancient Egypt, steal a bunch of gold and bury it and then dig it up later. If you can only go back, in effect, a few days, that's yeah. that's a perfectly that's a very smart way to do it. I mean, one of them is talking about the lottery, right? But this is much more clever because you, if you some the lottery is much more public; it draws a lot more attention, right? And they were also very careful about their stock. They were like, we have to make sure we we're not buying enough stock in this company that it will actually affect, yeah, you know, make a big splash or change the potential outcome. And they, there are points, because they actually kind of go back more than once in the same time period. And I, I remember one of them at uh, one point is like, wait, something went wrong. That's not how this is supposed to happen. And in fact, at the end of the film, they're both using re pre-recorded conversations of things that they're, they're like about a second or two ahead of what people are about to say. And at one point, the conversation deviates. So... Time, they're showing, at least in this film, time is very mutable. Yeah. That you can have, apparently having multiples of yourself is not a big deal except for people seeing you. It's like, I, I guess it makes sense. Um, but it's it, it. I will say it's probably the most scientific feeling depiction of time travel, if it were possible. Yeah, I think so. And of course, it all starts by trying to make a weeble way less. <laughs> <laughs> the weebles of science, everyone. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it is hard to follow. Um, but I, but here's the thing after, what is it? 17 years, I remembered the film and I remembered liking it and I was kind of looking forward to seeing it again. The part that really bothers me is I remember getting it the first time I watched it and this time. Yeah, I think that uh, well, might be, that might've happened to me too. I mean, maybe we're just too old now, but. Eh, what? Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. Um. So for some of our other uh, questions here, um, so they make a time machine. Do you think that this is a good use of time travel? Do you think it's an imaginative? I don't know about imaginative, but it's realistic. I think, yeah, mm -hmm. what, what would most people do if you don't go back a few days? Um, yeah, play the stock market. Why not? Uh, they also use it for reasons that are still kind of confusing. Some to, to bust up a guy who walks into a party with a shotgun Although right. he doesn't hurt anybody, no. e even in the unaltered timeline, but uh, uh, Aaron is arguing that he might. I mean, this is what he's willing to do. What if he ever? He, he's obsessed with this girl who is interested in Abe, Rachel, mm -hmm. and Aaron is saying, "What happens if he ever gets her alone?" This guy's obviously crazy. So they basically they like take the bolt, the, the shells out of his shotgun and intercept him at the party and beca and Aaron becomes kind of hero for taking him down. I'm guessing also the idea is that at least this way there is something to have him arrested over. Yeah, that's the thing. But the way they talk about it, they've replayed this day many times. Yeah. And they're basically doing it until they got it right, which would s sort of suggest that they had to get their other selves out of the way somehow. Yeah. It's very, very... 
hard to follow. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. I think it's actually a very realistic use of time travel. And as they get more affected by doing it, you can see why their eyes ideas get a little weirder and weirder. Um, I think there was actually a parallel to a superhero film between uh, this and that film, and that film was Chronicle. Oh, okay. Did you ever see that? I did. That's basically, yeah, what happens if teenagers actually got superpowers. Right. And one of the things I liked about it is they don't explain it. It's just nope. there was an alien spaceship, something happened, they got powers, and then there was no sign of the alien spaceship again. It was yeah. just gone. Yep. And I thought it was one of the most realistic depictions emotionally of what a superhero quote unquote would actually be. Um, spoilers. If you haven't seen it, it doesn't all go well. <laughs> yeah. Hard to believe that there might be a teenager who got superpowers who didn't necessarily use them to fight crime or make the world a better place. Yeah. Uh, I need to rewatch that film. That was a good film. It was, that was um, another imaginative and original sort of film. Yeah. I haven't uh, looked into the information about that one, but I, I don't think it was as big studio budget as a lot of the no, other films coming it, it out at also, the time. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It's been, it was all more about what they call a sleeper hit, too. It yeah. was more of a, a cult thing. It, it, um, yeah. So, I mean, I already asked you what you'd do with time travel. I think money is probably number one in what most people would do. Mm. Probably personal tragedy would be another one like, oh, you know, if I had a loved one that died in a car accident too young, etc., etc., would probably be pretty um, common. These guys, you know, uh, they're all wearing those. It was a, it was like early 2000s, so yeah. everyone who was wearing their white work shirts, it had to be <laughs> oversized for some reason. Mm. Um, but whatever. And those ties. Ah. Yeah, don't um, miss that. So does time travel make for a cohesive <laughs> plot? No, but um, I don't think it's supposed to. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be confusing. I think it's supposed to give us the impression of how this would mess with you and how it would mess with everything. But the thing is, it does it on a very small scale. It's a very personal scale. It's not like, you know, oh, the apocalypse is upon us or, oh, look at this, you know, time and space are rending asunder. It's just like, no, we're getting messed up and very confused. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that may, in fact, have been part of the point of the director, writer, uh, singer, songwriter yeah. um mr karuth karuth i wish i know how to pronounce that uh and sometimes when you touch the honesties too much no sometimes <sighs> that's that's, that's, that's it i'm cutting off another one of bumpy's ears <laughs> oh he's gonna kick you for that um sometimes when you try to make the audience feel your point instead of conveying it it works great and sometimes it kind of doesn't. Yeah. So would you say this was the latter? I think this comes really close, but I think it is the latter. I think it confuses more than it actually engages. But mm. I like I love that he tried. I mean, this is a real this is a real remarkable effort, I think. And it's imaginative and clever and given the resources they had, that's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, there's literally no special effects except one point. We look behind a table and there's nothing there, and the next thing, a guy gets up in his underwear. And That's it, literally yeah, it. which I wouldn't even say is a special effect. It's just a different no. shot. No, there's no zappy things. There's there aren't even any particularly weird sound effects. There's no visual effects. Nothing. It just sort of happens. 
Well, now here's a question I even hadn't thought of ahead of time. So most of the times in these movies, the time machine, the gizmo, whatever it is that's created to cause the ability to travel back and forth is some either visually stunning design or it's some amazingly immense, you know, thrumming electronic thing. Yeah. In this case, it's a metal box. With yeah. A bunch of stuff in it. Yep. How did you feel about that? I liked that, actually. I thought it, it sort of impressed on you how mundane they were making this remarkable thing. And it fits with the general feel of the movie, because the movie is very grounded and very kind of, you know, it, it's not impressive looking. None of the mm. houses are impressive looking. No one dresses well. The cars are all, you know, very basic cars. Everything is just sort of mundane and ordinary, and yet... One of these incredibly, or one of these ordinary things, is this unimaginable technological breakthrough. Well, and now speaking of that, because you're an IT, you, you've been an IT person, you've uh -huh. been in and around. And I know that this also sort of goes into biology. Do you, what did you think about the way they actually figured out that they'd they'd discovered time travel? I thought that was really interesting. The idea that it's bacteria or a uh, al what was it a fungus? Yep. That uh, grows that they they they're using one of those Russian. Um, what do you call them? nesting dolls? No, it's a weeble. Oh, it's a, it is it's a weeble? It's literally a weeble. Oh, I thought it was all right. <laughs> it's actually a weeble. <laughs> I missed that. Okay. They, they put a weeble in the machine, and it ends up covered with this sort of gross slime, and they have it analyzed, and they figure out it's this fungus. But the fungus, sh it's a fungus that should have, that's developed over about five years in, what was it, 15 minutes? Yeah. Or however long. And that's how, and I thought that's, that was really interesting because it's also really creditable, and it's it's like okay, this is not an this is sort of scientific proof. It's not an accident. It's not a quirk. There's no way this stuff could have grown, except if five years had passed. And they they take it, or Abe takes it to a biology guy, and the guy thinks it's a joke. Mm -hmm. Like he had like grown it somehow, or found some source of this fungus and just smeared it on the weeble. Um, and what happens is basically Abe is the first one to figure out what's going on, but he, and I got to really applaud them for using sort of a scientific method. Abe basically on his own investigates first. He just doesn't go, I've created time travel. No, he starts he, putting watches in digital versus yep. analog. He does. Yeah. He does what a scientist would do. He does what an engineer would do. He does rigorous testing and then he brings in a friend. He does peer review. Yeah. exactly what a scientist would do. I also liked the fact that he doesn't just come right out and tell Aaron what's going on. He's like, well, I, just, just look at this. I want you to what see you it. He says, I'm yeah. not going to tell you. I want you to see it. You have to see yeah. it for yourself. And on the one hand, when he's doing it, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to smack this guy. If, yeah. I, if, I, if I was Abe, I would want to just punch him in the nose. He's so irritating about it. But, you know, he's right because... If you say to someone, I've discovered time travel, it's okay. Yes, that's great. We're going to send you back to your rubber room now. Yeah. Uh, I also think that one of the reasons is that he doesn't want to influence the conclusion, whatever it is Aaron comes up with, because he's like, look, I want it to be this thing, but I, I can't trust my own judgment as the only judgment. There has to be somebody else who comes to a conclusion. What if somebody comes to something that's not the same as mine? Yeah. Um, I guess that's one of the things I really appreciate about this movie is that it does actually feel like there's real science involved, even though it's time travel, and we all know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, 
I too appreciate the look of the time machine. I love the fact that it's obvious that they're just, and they even talk about, um, admittedly stealing some stuff from work. Um, cause they work for a semiconductor company, I believe something like that. Um, they actually like, well, we need some palladium. Well, there actually happens to be little tiny trace amounts in catalytic converters. That I didn't know. I didn't know there was platinum, I, but I didn't know palladium. I didn't was. know there was palladium. I thought that was where they got the platinum. I wasn't sure where they got the palladium because I thought palladium is toxic or um, radioactive or something bad. I don't know. But th- what do they do? They go ahead and they take the catalytic converters off their cars because <laughs> that's what they're going to need to do. Yeah. And, you know, again, they're, they're basically, they're trying to invent anti-gravity, which they get a little bit of the, the weeble gets lighter. Um, but that's, you know, not the big deal. And who knows, maybe that's the thing that causes them to get all weird at the end, but you know, mm. also staying up 36 hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like actual use of science. Um, I, I actually thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, does time travel make sense in this story? It, it kind of, but I don't know if it's supposed to. I mean, again, that's part of the that's part of the story. Is it would it disrupts the entire idea of narrative. It disrupts the entire idea both of causality and about sequential events. Well, do you think that that's what the narration was for to try and make this seem slightly more coherent? I think so. I think it was trying to explain, although it was not you know Blade Runner esque voiceover in. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it wasn't treating you like you were stupid and needed things explained. Goldfish. That's what she called me. <laughs> Abe was special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, Science I, speak. It's a mixture of Latin and... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, uh, I, I think it is there to make things a little clearer, but it's also kind of the anchor that goes through the whole movie. I mean, it literally opens the movie and almost up to the end. Yeah. I, yeah, I well, think it's supposed to be, the idea is everything else is inconsistent because as we've seen, everything can be changed. There's no consistency to events. Events can be altered by somebody by anybody sitting around long enough in a storage locker. Yeah. And it seems that the only thing that's stopping you is how many times you can go back and mess with a particular moment uh, is how much it physically affects you to the point that when you come out of the storage locker, you're blah, 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 yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's like, we're done. That's that moment can't be changed anymore because but, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. What did you think of the ending? Well, I think it was necessary because we know that this father-in-law character somehow gets involved and comes back. So it can't have been their machine that they created because at least in the storage locker, because they are overseeing it all the time. So it has to be a different machine somewhere. So, my guess is somehow because Aaron goes off to France I, I, or someplace where they speak French. We don't know. That's true. Obviously we know that it was actually down the block because yeah. $7,000, you're not going to France. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Somehow he must find out, and somehow the at some point the father-in-law must go to the storage locker, and and it's still running. Um, I do like the fa- <laughs> the fact that at one point Abe, and he doesn't, he's not mean about it, but Abe at one point says, "What do you think the guys at the storage locker think when two guys come in every day together with with oxygen tanks?" And then I think Aaron says, "Yeah, what do you think the the people at the front desk of the hotel <laughs> think about two guys who get a room and stay in it all day?" And they're just like, "Eh." <laughs> But wait a minute, uh, what father-in-law? You mean Rachel's father? They're not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, no, no, it's no, not it's a not father-in-law, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah that was, whatever, Mr. 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 Granger, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. I, I thought I might have missed another character, which could have happened. No. Uh, I w- I'm having to guess that what happens is the, the Mr. Granger stays, somehow gets in and stays in way too long or comes back to, I don't know. Yeah. But the ending, it was nice because it didn't feel like a sequel grab. Um, but it did feel like a natural progression. It's like, well, you go to what you want. I'm doing the time travel stuff, and bigger is better. Mm. So they were making like a warehouse-sized one. Yeah, is, yeah, disturbing. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah, what happens if you can send like a, a platoon of people through time? And I'll ask this question. As time travel is depicted in this film, can any good come from it? I don't think so. It's way too easy to screw to screw with this, as we've seen. Basically... It would ensure that you could never trust anything that was going to happen, because yeah. nothing would be permanent. Anything that happens can be rewritten. Well, th- with that one caveat that you can't go back further than the day the time machine was turned on and you were in it, which I actually like as a as a story device. Mm. I think that's a really great way to stop the brakes on something as rampantly crazy as time travel. Yeah, but still, the sheer level of disruption that you could. That, that could come of that, the the way you could mess with with it, with events, and uh, you know if you go back, what is it? You go back in time, like how far? I think they go back what five days, something like that. It's not yeah. very long. It's not, but if you go back five days and then I don't know, start shooting random people on the street, or you blow something up, the the damage you could do would be unimaginable. Yes. And that's why I asked the question, what good could come of it? And you could say, oh, we could save all these lives and blah, 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 blah. Maybe. I, you know, it's, I mean, that's where you, the ideas of, at least literarily, things like balance come in, you know, is, does there have to be, is there something in at least this universe that would have to come around and balance that out? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you can think of it in terms of, sure, this would be amazing for law enforcement. You go back and, you know, we suddenly were in the Tom Cruise territory. You go back and stop crimes before they happen. Oh, well, if we're going to travel into time, Tom Cruise, I don't want to (laughs) go. But, uh, you know, and because historically this is true of every technology, someone would weaponize it. Yeah. And if you weaponize something that actually affects Time and space, yeah, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, and I actually, and well, I, I don't know. I'm out of my notes here. We can uh, get to the the wrap up, but unless you have any other notes you wanted, I do. I actually did want to add one other thing. There's a cat in the film, or at least they're supposed to be. They're looking for it. We don't actually see yeah, the cat. Never see them. Find it had it. a cool name. The cat's name was Philby. Oh yeah, which is a character name from the Time Machine movie. Oh, uh, okay, nice touch. <laughs> yeah. I missed that. Yeah. yeah, no, I uh, yeah, I, I think we covered the other interesting thing about this movie, it's very short. It's like an hour yep. and seventeen minutes. Yep. Which and I, it's in, I think it's good. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't think it it should have been any longer. It's not it's concise, it's tight. I think the directing is actually pretty good. It the pacing is good, it moves along, and yeah. it is fascinating. Which means that we must be at the roundup. Indeed. The Roundup. So, Max, mm. you think you saw it at a science fiction film marathon. I know I did. If they were really mean, it was at, like, midnight. <laughs> no, <laughs> this was, I remember it being early on, because otherwise I wouldn't have remembered anything about it. The movies, that yeah. they would show at 2 or 3 in the morning, I never remembered. <laughs> Thunderbirds are slow. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> no more pink films. Uh, 
So uh, yeah. do you remember what your reaction was at the time? I remember it made me very uncomfortable, the movie. Okay. I was just like, I, I just, this was one of the, an early, it was such a different version view of time travel. And I just remember thinking, this is, I don't know where this is going. I'm not supposed, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this. It was ch- more challenging than I had expected in a movie about time travel. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing, seeing it again, how do you feel? Way more confused, but still, it's very challenging. Again, I really appreciate the effort. This, I don't think it worked as well for me, but honestly, that may be me. I, I think this is a movie worth watching, just, you know, you kind of got to gear up for it. Mm. Maybe you have a notepad. <laughs> Well, I usually do, but it didn't help. Flashcards, maybe a PowerPoint presentation. You know, I if it was 2004, I didn't see it at a science fiction film marathon. I don't remember if I rented it. Because um, it used to be back in the old days of video rental. Um, you could get films like Cube or Pi yeah. or Primer. Um, I actually did see uh, Clerks in the theater. But... You know, you could take a chick. It was two bucks. Who cares? And if you happen to hear about one of these films, you could see something really interesting. And all you're really wasting is, you know, maybe a couple hours of your time. Mm. Um, so I might have actually rented this. I don't remember. I remember getting it the first time, um, but I remember liking it. Um, I think I still do. And I think I'm going to agree with you in that I appreciate it because of its challenge. Films don't challenge anymore. I like the fact that science at least is respected even if it's not true because we don't have time travel but at least they're showing them working at it in a scientific method like way yeah and the science they're throwing around isn't like techno babble it's it's not uncoupling the heisenberg compensators or making the jump to light speed without a computer course it's talking about uses of argon palladium and uh, platinum it's talking about EM fields. It's all. Most of it is stuff that works. That we. That that's real. I was really hoping for somebody to go <laughs> cold laser bath. Yeah, let's roll <laughs> those dice. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I I like the fact that the machine, while utterly unimpressive, feels like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in their garage, yeah. which is pretty literally what it is. And where would science be without the garage? I ask you. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm going to recommend it, but with the caveat that it is confusing and you can't, this can't be on in the background. No, you, you to, really got to pay attention. And even then you're going to get lost. And I think for 7,000 bucks and the fact that this film actually got as seen as it did, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Not perfect. Um, yep. But we uh, we have a poll question that we want to bring back up, like yep. yesterday's lunch. No, 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 no. Uh, this week, we want to ask you, if you could own one prop, one MacGuffin, one item from a movie, what would that item be, and from what movie did it come? Let us know how you may ask why. You can email us right to us at MaxMikeMovies.com. Indeed. Which implies a website, which would be MaxMikeMovies.com. And hey, speaking of the web, perhaps you look at the web in a social way. Ooh, social. Social. Perhaps, perhaps you tweet or perhaps you feeb. Either way, you can find us at Max Mike Movies. And if you do go to our website, we have every single episode just waiting for you to listen again and again and again. An endless time loop. 
like we are right now. Speaking of which, in this loop of time, this swirl of temporal space, what are we going to be swirling into next week, Max? Well, Swirlies? As, as we talk about uh, the practical uses of time travel, we're going to be checking into a movie that I think makes some of the best use of time travel in cinematic history. What is the? What would you use it for? Doing your history homework. But, huh? Yep. And there we will we will see William S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Excellent! A.K.A. Wild Stallions in Bill and Ted's <laughs> Excellent Adventure, Keanu Reeves' Magnum Opus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, you're wrong, Max. And tune in next week to hear Max be wrong again. Uh-huh. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.